0: You're listening to the next phase of cybersecurity podcast. With this series, you can stay up to date with all the latest information and trends in the cybersecurity space by hearing from today's leading analysts and users and vendors so that you can be prepared for all scenarios to help protect your business.
1: Hello and welcome to the next phase of Cybersecurity Podcast, an EM360 production. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or if you go for your podcasting needs. Joining us on this week's episode, I have Derek Taylor, who is the Vice President, Consulting and Professional Services at Trustwave, and Derek's here to explore and give his personal thoughts on the normalization and acceptance of large data breaches. So Derek, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you and uh, looking forward to kind of delving into this subject matter. But before we get into the questions, would you mind just giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and maybe Trustwave?
0: Uh, Sure. Uh, Very briefly, uh, Trustwave is a pure play cybersecurity firm. Uh, We provide managed security services and consulting uh, globally, about 2,000 individuals, half a billion dollars in revenue, uh, and we've been in operation for about 25 years. Uh, Myself, um, I look after the consulting professional services uh, capabilities across uh, Europe, uh, uh, and we specialize in penetration testing digital forensics and incident response, uh, advisory consulting and technical consulting. Um, and I've been doing this uh, almost as well, actually a touch longer than, uh, than Trustwave's been in existence. So quite a while.
1: <laughs> Excellent. No, that's a fantastic thing, because it's always good to kind of have experience when we're talking about these particular issues, and especially when we're talking about data breaches, because it's such a... Hot topic, and it's been a hot topic for a very long time now. Um, and it's interesting to kind of get your perspective on where this is coming from. And and, and I wanted to start the podcast kind of at the beginning and, and setting the scene here of what what we're really talking about instead of just diving in. So, from your perspective and, and what we're kind of seeing in the industry at the moment, what is the current landscape and impact of these big data breaches?
0: Uh, sure, okay. Um, so, I guess some of the largest breaches uh, have occurred frankly, in the last four or five years. Um, I won't list uh, very many of them, but but some of the ones to note include things like Yahoo in uh, 2017, so 3 billion records disclosed. Um, Adhar in 2018, uh, 1.1 billion biometric uh, records from uh, 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 an Indian organization. A number of financial services um, organizations have unfortunately been impacted by big data breaches. So First America um, in 2019 had just under a billion banking and financial records uh, taken. And obviously, um, uh, uh, one that uh, many people know about uh, was Facebook. Again, uh, uh, in early 2019, uh, just over half a billion um, uh, uh, records uh, taken. In aggregate, I think what we're seeing is uh, circa... uh, 25 to 30% year on year increase in terms of the the number of records um, uh, stolen. Um, Certainly, uh, things like GDPR breach notifications are up year on year since that came into um, play. uh, I think to date, there's just under about 300 million US dollars worth of fines relating to to GDPR, Google uh, being uh, uh, one of the largest at about 50 million. So I think it's safe to say big data breaches are already large. Uh, they're getting larger and more frequent. Um, so it's definitely something we need to uh, be aware of.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the the best way to kind of put it. And as we, as you were saying there, the, the big breaches that we've seen over the past couple of years, but more content for our listeners, as you said, it's becoming more and more frequently. You know, at the start of the year, I, I remember I did a top 10 of... Um, the top 10 cybersecurity incidents that happened in 2020. I could, I could do a full top 10 list of it and I had to leave some off. So, you know, kind of gives that context of how often this is happening and how frequently it is. Um, and you, you mentioned Facebook in there with, with what they had. And in April of this year, there was a, a leaked internal memo that detailed their plan to kind of normalize the idea of data scrapping leaks. So first of all, context of what is data scrapping and why is this news causing such a stir amongst the cybersecurity leaders?
0: Uh, okay, uh, so, um, so data scraping is a computer technique to extract data in human-readable form from another computer program or website. Um, several variants exist, such as screen scraping, website scraping, uh, report mining. The Facebook incident was notable, I think for two reasons. Uh, First, while data scraping is not quite the same as hacking, it can create the same outcome, i.e. large volumes of people's data that they thought were somehow secure and private, not being. So in this instance, were Facebook hacked per se? Technically, no. But the data scraping technique is not something a normal user would think about and would assume their information is not public, yet using this technique, their data did become public. So I think that's uh, uh, the first point to note. Um, Secondly, the internal Facebook memo originally alluded to the idea of normalising such big data leaks or hacks or exfiltrations, which uh, goes against the normal person's and indeed the cyber industry's standard ethos of trying to ensure that private stuff is private. Uh, 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 and therefore, it should remain private. Uh, and when not done so, there would be repercussions for not doing for not doing so. Not attempting to diminish the data exposure by making the argument that well, if everyone is leaking, if everyone's um, being hacked, if everyone's being scraped, then who cares? Um, uh, perhaps certainly as it is, my um, uh, grandma uh, may have said, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Um, so, so that was the, the core issue with the, uh, uh, the Facebook memo.
1: Yeah, it was, it was interesting to kind of see it come out. And, and from that p- perspective, when you saw it, was, was there a reaction from yourself and how this is kind of going to impact how other large organizations approach it? Uh,
0: yes. I mean, I think the core reaction that I had was that, uh, uh, these things should not be normalized. If you have users or clients or customers of a given product or service, they probably have some expectations of privacy uh, and and uh, those should be managed to um, you shouldn't try and then retrospectively say, oh well, oh dear, we've lost all of your data or your data's gotten out there. Um, These things happen, you know, uh, uh, tough. Uh, That uh, seems both uh, counterproductive for the organisation making that claim in terms of its reputation, uh, but also actually there's a more insidious element to it, which is you're trying to then normalise on an almost societal level that uh, data uh, can't be public, and that's actually not true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a very fair point to make, and and I want to kind of talk about the the user data side of things because um, obviously this impacts it hugely. So, how are users' privacy calculus around data disclosure decisions really being manipulated?
0: Uh, okay, so first of all, I guess uh, uh, it might be helpful to understand what the privacy calculus is. Um, And the privacy calculus Sorry The privacy calculus Is each person's subjective perception Of the risks, benefits And value of information disclosure So I'll say that again It is each person's subjective perception Of the risks, benefits and value Of information disclosure Um, And that drives their behaviour It can be influenced by many different factors Um Uh, uh, so those factors could include prior privacy experience, uh, user experience, user interface quality, uh, and the perceived value and intention of the company, the organization, product or service that's being bought or sought. Even a current, sorry, even a person's current mood may impact their short-term decisions. So that's what the privacy calculus is. It's uh, an individual's, uh, 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 fact, or the individual's factors that go into making a decision in relation to their privacy. However, however the privacy calculus theory relies on rational decision-making. And as we know, humans are uh, emotional, chemical uh, beings or not machine-like automatons. So if an online interaction impacts how we feel, it may alter our privacy calculus. Uh, may alter our decision making. Things that might impact uh, uh, include branding and value alignment, uh, feel-good gamification, deliberate obfuscation of uh, the value of data, or even attempts at diminishing a person's perceived value of their data, these all impact their decision making, and it's that latter one that I uh, believe that the Facebook memo uh, was trying to achieve. The idea that if we normalise data breaches um, uh, and therefore attempt to diminish the value of a person's personal data, um, uh, uh, that uh, uh, is an attempt to uh, alter or manipulate someone's privacy calculus. Um, uh, now, there's some irony here in that uh, given entire industries and firms, including Firms like Facebook drive huge economic value from access to such information. Um, uh, there's some, uh, maybe some uh, 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 disingenuousness, um, if that's a word, going on in terms of trying to minimise the perceived value of a person's data, um, given these organisations are 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 profiting um, uh, from that very data.
1: Yeah, this is the the huge danger and the huge risk that we're kind of seeing uh, coming about, and it's 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 alarming to kind of see, as you say, that those kind of tricks and trends being brought in to to kind of diminish that. And it, it's do do you think we're kind of getting to a stage, or we're even at a stage where we're just kind of expecting and accepting these big data breaches from these top enterprises? Are we feeding that privacy paradox?
0: I think that's difficult to say objectively. Um, If you believe stock market prices are in part a proxy uh, for the consequences of a large data breach, then we've typically seen breaches cause an initial price dip, but then generally recover quite quickly. Um, Take EasyJet the other year um, uh, was a good example. So a, a breach didn't stop people booking their holidays on EasyJet. Um, So did it have a long-term impact? Questionable. Um, By the same token, we're also seeing lots of organizations invest in cybersecurity. Um, So that's obviously a cost to the business and an attempt to reduce both the likelihood and impact of a breach. My personal view is that most people do not understand the value of their data and or are prepared to trade it away in return for... Uh, perhaps financially free services. So Google's a good example of that. And this is the privacy paradox, as you say. People say they care about their data, but they can be made to act otherwise, especially if the perceived value of the thing they're getting is more than they perceive their data to be worth. And as uh, uh, we've already discussed, this can be uh, manipulated. Um, further, I think, There is an issue that privacy may come at a financial cost, and this is both an economic and a social issue. Uh, And um, without meaning to take sides um, in the uh, the smartphone uh, uh, wars or debates, if we take Apple versus Android um, uh, uh, at a simplistic uh, level, Apple make a very deliberate unique selling proposition uh, or unique selling point differentiated with respect to privacy. Uh, they claim to be the privacy company, um, but that comes at an upfront cost, uh, a, a relatively expensive cost for their, their phones. Typical Android smartphones are much cheaper, but the handset is often subsidized by signing away user rights um, over their data. Um, and taken further, the question then becomes, is privacy just for those that can afford it? So in some ways are we feeding the privacy paradox? Uh, 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 certainly in that regard, I would say yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that's that's a very interesting approach and very kind of key to kind of focus on yes, will that financial element come into play and how that impacts going forward in the future because as you say it's it's wrong for me to say that data breaches are only kind of shocking when it impacts. But it, it's whether it impacts people using that product or trusting that service. Because at the end of the day, when we're talking about handing data over to companies, organizations, whatever, it's it's a trust element um, that we're putting into it. And if there are no repercussions for that trust being broken, it leads us down a very dangerous hole at the end of the day, doesn't it?
0: Indeed, it does. Yes.
1: So the big kind of final um, question here, the the big question, and I don't expect a a full answer, but uh, what steps can organizations and customers take to really stop us from reaching what we've been speaking about today of that societal normalization and acceptance of large data breaches in the near future? Uh, Wow, okay. Um, Big question.
0: uh, Yeah, (laughs) I could probably write um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 an entire essay on that, but... um, I think um, uh, to keep it relatively short, there's probably a mix of personal, organisational, regulatory and societal norms uh, that all come into play here. So some organisations are using privacy as a marketplace differentiator, as I've described. So it's in their interests to invest in privacy protections. Um, uh, I think, uh, without meaning to sound too trite, Privacy needs cyber security, though cyber security doesn't need privacy. But regardless, cyber investments uh, do tend to help. Um, the commercial consequences or penalties that may be applied by rules and regulations, such as GDPR, uh, uh, can also play a part. Um, and I think expanding on the the, the regulatory aspects, certainly value based. Regulations and standards also play a role um, uh, as part of the decision process that voters may make at the ballot box. Now, I'm not saying it's um, a primary factor, given all the other things that people um, tend to vote on. Um, but certainly, some global jurisdictions seem to be leading the way. So in this instance, the EU, um, particularly with GDPR and a number of other um, uh regulations and standards um, that are being copied by other jurisdictions. Uh, 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 That's certainly an example of of um, value-based regulations. But ultimately, I think it's about people knowing what their data is worth, the individuals valuing it accordingly and therefore acting accordingly, not being tricked into thinking that the value is somehow or somewhat less than it really is. And whether that's the um, sign-up process, uh, the purchasing um, uh, decisions that we make, or perhaps even broader voting intentions, um, uh, it's for the individual to choose. And I think that that is probably the core conclusion. Um, I personally would argue it's about informed personal choice, um, and that should be the base minimum standard we should seek. Um, And we need to work as a society, as a set of industries, um, uh, 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 and possibly at a governmental level to enable that too.
1: To kind of get to that point exactly, I think there's, as you say, it's not an overnight fix. We can't just click our fingers and and kind of instigate these, these things to kind of come into play um but the conversations is is what kind of drives that to to become a reality and i think there's some excellent points in there of how we can kind of get to that point um but yeah we could do a whole podcast whole podcast series on this issue and how we kind of get to that point so uh derek all i can say is uh thanks for coming on to this episode walking us through all of this with data breaches and uh giving your insight it's been great talking to you thank you very much it's been a pleasure very welcome Derek and thank you everyone who uh, took the time to listen to this episode we hope you took a lot of information away from what was discussed Uh, obviously a a big topic that needs uh, a lot more kind of delving into but if you would like to learn more and understand kind of what Trustwave does following this conversation then you can head over to Trustwave.com there's some great resources on on there to kind of uh, delve into this a little bit further We'll be back soon with another episode in this podcast series. Until then, please subscribe on all major podcasting platforms. Join the conversation on our social channels at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And of course, for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com.